The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. I have actually tried to look into myself and understand why do I like plants. And I think the answer is that I see in plants a same version of a computer algorithm. So like plants are really fascinating, beautiful algorithms interacting with physical properties in nature. I think, yeah, the meta answer is that I like plants just because they're like algorithms and it gives me a sense of understanding and appreciation of things around. I see like a divine design in plants and same with computers. Computers are man-made and plants are God-made or something. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 6, regular listeners, welcome back. If you're a first-timer, then I'm sure you're in the right place. If you're looking for a show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world, I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a return visit from Allison Koff. She's now the Chief Growth Officer at Ayuno. It's a company that's building the future of CEA through their AI-driven Luna platform which enables growers to develop a feedback loop capturing data and managing processes to create precise, predictable production. Alice and I talk about the merging of Artemis and Ayuno, her new role as Chief Growth Officer, and the many ways she's been helping to promote and empower female founders and entrepreneurs. This week, we have a very interesting interview, high vibe, high energy, and it's with David Ahmed. He's the founder and CEO of Hexafarms, which is one of the companies out of Techstars Berlin that's developing software for vertical farms. The company is using some forward-thinking technology and AI to identify the optimal growth conditions for various crops grown indoors. It's really fascinating stuff, and given their experience in the Techstars incubator, David has been learning a lot very, very quickly. He even introduced a new term to me, Normalized Difference Vegetation Index, which I was not aware of and which you'll learn more about in this conversation. Don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'm looking forward to reading those out next. Okay, enough of me talking. Before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with David, here are a few words from the folks that support this show. This episode is brought to you by Indoor AgCon 2023. I'm so happy to have been working with the team last year. Indoor AgCon 2022 was my very first indoor farming conference. So it was really eye-opening for me. So I'll always be grateful to the team there for rolling out the carpet for me. <laughs> and I uh, really had a good time meeting a lot of past guests and excited to join them again this year. Entering its 10th year in a row, it's the largest trade show and conference for vertical farming and CEA, and it's returning to Caesars Forum Conference Center in Las Vegas on February 27th and 28th of 2023. Once again, they'll be co-located with the National Growers Association show as well, which is a really good fit for them. The conference keeps growing, and this year it's doubled in size. The expo floor now has more than 170 booths filled with new product resources and solutions to explore. You'll hear from experts, including CEOs, growers, investors, and others in the field during this full-scale educational conference. As always, you'll be able to connect with peers, grocers, and other potential new business partners at their great networking events. 
I haven't even gotten to the best part. The team at Indoor AgCon has given listeners of this show 20% off their full access conference pass. All you have to do is use promo code VFP, as in Vertical Farming Podcast, and sign up at indoor.ag. See you there. So David Ahmed, founder and CEO of Hexa Farms, thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. My pleasure. So where is home for you? Germany. How long have you been there? Like for three and a half years. I have been actually, so I was born and raised in India, but then I've been moving and relocating for last seven years, a bunch of countries. At one point, the US, I was also in Israel, and now it's Germany or Deutschland. I was just in UAE, so I was there for the AgriMe conference in Dubai, first time ever. Yeah, that's crazy because actually, so the idea of Hexa Farms, I was in New York, so Manhattan. So I was working with farmers in New York, in Manhattan City, like trying to get to connect farmers and the co-op gardens with people living in Manhattan so as to give them access to organic food supply. This was, I think, 2018, so connecting the co-ops with the farmers. And then I was at the farmer's market in Union Square Park uh, one day because the best approach when building a startup is so-called the lean startup approach, right? So you just talk to people, validate the idea, find out your value proposition. So I was in Union Square Park and I was really talking to farmers, like a lot of them at those days. And then there was this moment that I was sitting across Whole Foods and I was thinking about my poor farmers who would drive all the way from upstate New York. And some days everything will be finished in like two hours. And some days they will just take half, like their truck half full of cabbages and drive back home. And I was like, well, in computer science, so I come from computer science background, AI, machine learning, cybersecurity, and going back to farming. So I was like, in computer science, we do optimization a lot. So we write code that optimizes code, that optimizes code, that optimizes code. Like <laughs> the, the layer just keeps going on, you know, like deeper, yeah. deeper. And I'm looking at my poor farmers, I should say helpless farmers. Like they don't have this connection. And I'm like, well, this food production system has been working on, but I don't think it will continue. And looking across, as I mentioned, at Whole Foods and where Whole Foods has so much analytics, they can source the stuff. And then these farmers couldn't. And I was like, could there be a better way? That was the point when I got into indoor farming. And I asked myself, I like to ask myself contrarian questions. So I asked myself the question that what could be the most, like, can we change the fabric of food production, basically? And the most common answer, like the idea for me was that the most important thing was that, well, could we grow food indoors? Could we grow food close to where we live? And yeah, basically that was like a black hole for me. I just went into <laughs> it. Yeah, I know exactly where you were. You're in Tompkins Square Park. I grew up in New York. I grew up just outside in Yonkers. I live in Minneapolis now, but New York City is like my heart and my home. And I've lived in Upper East Side, East Village, Brooklyn. So I'm very familiar with that farmer's market that I think you're speaking about. By the way, so going back to the UAE, sorry, that's where the conversation started. And then I had to move to UAE. And in UAE, I was extremely, extremely inspired. And I, to this day, I am by the founder of UAE, Sheikh Zayed. And his vision was that food security was a very important thing for him. And I don't know, like even now talking about it, I'm really getting goosebumps because my vision was that, can we make UA food secure? And I did my math and it made sense. Like this was about 2018, 2019, that we don't need to import salads and herbs and vegetables from India, from Brazil. It's not sustainable when we can literally import like one hundredth of the mass of fertilizer. We have energy in UA and we can grow. And I started the first model of Hexa Farms. The first production unit was made in my dorm room, actually. And I did my math, the calculation for electricity added, uh, fertilizer and everything. That was the beginning. And now that's when I got into like more, yeah, like how can we commercialize and looking into the market? Because again, like everyone, like just being able to grow food indoors is not an achievement. What is an achievement is like, can you commercialize it? But now we're getting into a totally different uh, point. Like this is the current USB of Hexa France, which I'm working on. So let's rewind the clock back a little bit. You, you studied mathematics and computer science at NYU. Has that been a passion since you were little? And how did you end up there? I had actually two passions. One was biology. So I wanted to actually become a doctor. And around in like freshman year of high school, I mean, I was always good with computers and I love computers to this day. And yeah, so I went to college. I gave up on medicine. I was like, well, I'm going to study computer science. But it was always my passion. Actually, like when I was 14 or 16, I was already doing uh, grafting, mixing two different varieties of rows, different fruits together. Where did that passion come from? Like, where did that curiosity come from? 
I think it was just, I would say it's the hacker mindset. In a good sense, not hacker as a cybersecurity way, but I don't know. It just came natural. White hat. Sorry? White hat. Yeah, white hat. (laughs) Maybe gray hat. I don't know. I have actually tried to look into myself and understand why do I like plants. And I think the answer is that I see in plants a same version of a computer algorithm. So like plants are really fascinating, beautiful algorithms interacting with physical properties in nature. And that's why I also like the goal of hexafarms is really that it's an algorithm. Plants are an algorithm that deal with 13 macronutrients and other factors, temperature, humidity, CO2, maybe even sound, vibration, a bunch of things. But at the end of the day, they're vibrations, uh, sorry, they're algorithms. And I'm like, well, we can optimize it. I think the, yeah, the meta answer is that I like plants just because they're like algorithms and it gives me a sense of understanding and appreciation of things around. I see like a divine design in plants and same with computers. Computers are man-made and plants are God-made or something. Computers are man-made, but they're made from silicon too. So they actually come from, <laughs> if you think about yeah. <laughs> silicon chips. What was your family's reaction when you moved from medicine to computers? They were totally neutral. Yeah, I mean, I didn't pursue a career, right? So maybe one day I'll go back to medicine. I don't know. But I think I'm pretty decent with computers at this point. And it's also very lucrative for me to be in computer science, like from a capitalist perspective. But from my personal perspective, I do derive a lot of pleasure in like plant biology. And actually, that's a cool thing for me at Exafarms. Like for the last 13 months, I've been working full time. There have been really rough times in a startup life. That's pretty common. But I can't recall a single day where I was not excited to work on this problem. And I feel really blessed about that because, as I said, it's like a combination of two things for me, computers and plants. I mean, sometimes you do get mad at your plants, like you're giving every single thing to them and they're not responding. And sometimes like you're doing some experiments and people come and they're like, oh, these plants look amazing. Or sometimes they're like, oh, these plants don't look good. And like, I don't know, it hurts my ego, but overall it's fun. Do you sing to your plants? Not really. (laughs) But I do have actually dreams of like plants in a very normal sense, as in like interacting with plants and stuff like that. Yeah, I remember reading when I was, I don't know, this is grade school or high school or something, the experiments they would do where they would play classical music or they played like heavy metal music. It was just really aggressive music and seems natural to me, but like talk about vibrations from the music and just energy in and of itself, it would make sense that if it's soothing and the plants that had the classical music grew better. So I'm wondering, you know, obviously there's applications for that and we can go down another rabbit hole of that as it relates to indoor farms. But that was something that I thought of when you said that. Yeah, I think it was rock that they like and classical as well. And so talk about how you started down this path, because obviously you talked about being in the farmer's market, you talked about what you're doing at Whole Foods. Were you aware of anything that was happening in the world of vertical farming, other companies that existed, or had you been doing some research? I was. Shout out to Square Roots in Brooklyn. So this was January 2019, I think, when I was just getting into indoor farming. The first thing a nerd would do is to buy books. So that's what I did and like bought some setup that I could grow plants. And I was living in sort of like a vacuum and I'm like, well, I am on to something. I can grow food indoors. And Dixon de Pamier, his book and his essay, extremely influential. And I'm like, you know, like I was also in academia and like someone has to take this mission, you know, outside this uh, this world of academia. Little did I know that there were a lot of people working on it. Aerofarms was there. And as I mentioned, Square Roots. And I was online and I was checking in Square Roots. I think they had a meetup or something, or I just emailed them that, can I show up? And they were welcoming. And I went there and I saw stuff. I was taking notes of every single thing where they were probably not doing the best thing and most efficient thing, but they were extremely warm and welcoming in the cold winter. And I visited there. And as I mentioned, going back to UAE, before that also I was in UAE and UAE was like very close to my heart. And I'm like, well, I can really take this to UAE. And I started looking at the African continent. I still, to this day, I have a list of all the countries that I wanted to target with Hexafarms talk about innocent dreams. And (laughs) yeah, and I was really thinking that I was looking at the economic complexity. So when you look at the African continent, some of the countries, their economic complexity is super low. So for example, they would have resources, but it is the Western nations or more developed nations that are complex, right? So Germany, for example, could make a chip, but silicon could be coming from somewhere else. I mean, just I'm just making this up, but same thing was happening. Like, well, like for example, phosphates and stuff could be coming from Lebanon. 
and Lebanon might not actually have food or even fertilizer, which would be made somewhere else. And I was like, well, with the Hexa Farms kind of idea, we could just grow it right there. So I checked indoor farms. Maybe this is not a right thing to say on a podcast, but I was not happy with the status quo. Like they're big giants in the comp- in the field of indoor farming, and I don't want to name them. They have millions and millions in funding, and their results are not so promising. And as me, as a founder who is starting out, like sometimes I have to suffer from it because I talk to investors and they'll be like, well, why aren't they doing it? Or vertical indoor farming is not going to work because literally there are five, six companies that have taken, I don't know, combined two, three billions in VC money and they're not able to deliver the result. And I was like, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. So yeah, I looked at the status quo. I again checked it. And my first go-to source is actually reading literature and reading publications in the field. There's amazing... There's copious amount of amazing work uh, coming from Japan in indoor farming. And like, for example, like to this day, I don't know if there is a big mega farm that is still able to achieve, let's say 20 harvest in a year with lettuce. But in Japan, they were achieving it like for quite some time. So yeah, I just read the articles and I'm like, it's better to kind of like to start working on it. And because there's no, like, I can't say it. There was no single vertical indoor farm that I could look up to. And I would say like, they're amazing. Like I couldn't, so I'm like, well, I have to work on it. But now, having done my research, I think there are some that are good, but I still feel that the biology is not optimized or the plant health knowledge is not optimized and reliance on human talent is still not going to scale. Like the reason why we can't have, going back to again, once again to UAE, is we can't like just put, let's say, 10,000 meter square farm is because we don't have those plant biology experts. And that's where what we're working at ExaFarms comes in is that, well, we can let AI take care of it. And slowly in a year or two or three with more data coming in, this AI could become the best farmer. Like it would know plant biology better than any human being ever did or ever would. And we can get into this if you're interested later. How did you end up in UAE? I forgot to mention. So I was in this NYU's, I was at NYU Abu Dhabi. So it's like a global campus, but NYU Abu Dhabi and also NYU Shanghai, these are like let's put it, very privileged campuses where students are able to study wherever they want for a few semesters. And that's why my home campus was actually Abu Dhabi. So moving between countries was a choice that was offered and I took it. Actually, a big part for me to also be in Tel Aviv, Israel, was to see the status quo of indoor farming because I was always like hearing, well, Israel is the best when it comes to food production and farming. And sure it is. But is it like, super, super great? Is it like 10x efficient? I doubt that. (laughs) What I notice as you talk about your journey into discovering the world of indoor farming is sort of this mentality of like, it's good, but it can be better. And also, I get the sense that you're the type of person that is always looking to optimize something where you feel like you can add value. And also that you're confident and, you know, seeing and respecting what other people have done, but also, you know, understanding that, you know, there is ways and to improve what already exists and not being satisfied with what's there already, because I think maybe understanding and maybe that's your systems background or understanding that there's a possibility that you can do things better. Absolutely. I mean, on our website, we say 40% cost reduction, and I mean it. Like we have been running a farm, we have been doing experiments, and I'm not like, Again, as I said, initially, I was very innocent. You know, I didn't know what other people were up to. And there's a lot of amazing work a lot of other people have done. But when I started doing our work, we set up a lab and we really are trying to be as realistic as possible, measuring every single thing. Like how many minutes am I spending on my seedlings? How many minutes am I spending on harvesting? How many times I had to go down in the lab and check his stuff? And when I look at the summary of top indoor farms, and I compare it to ours, like that optimization level is there. So I do see that there is going to be a limit, but I'm still very, very optimistic that a crop like lettuce, not not that expensive baby spinach salad or something, but like normal salad, like normal spinach, normal lettuce could be grown in indoor farms profitably within the like the hearts of metropolitans, very super expensive. I do feel that optimization can go up like to that level. I don't think indoor farming is fully optimized. It's like there is still room for 20 to 40%. So talk to me about the experience you had with Techstars. Techstars, I think it's fantastic, but I don't think fantastic is fair. Just fantastic won't do the job. So Techstars, so we started like, so as I said, the idea was with me for quite some time. 
And then I was in Germany. I was doing my master's in cybersecurity. I actually, like with two other friends, we bootstrapped another startup. My goal was that it will make so much money that I'll sell my, my stock and, you know, put it all in indoor farming. It wasn't that successful. It was okay-ish. And this is like around, yeah, 2019. And after that, I started, I became machine learning researcher. And in the fall of 2019, I joined a master's program in cybersecurity, where again, it was all about building a startup in cybersecurity in Germany. But for some reason, I was obsessed with food security. So I would talk to friends and we were working at like edge of machine learning and AI, like crazy stuff. Because the institute where I studied is, it's a little known place called CISPA in Germany. And apparently it's the number one cybersecurity institute in the world. When you look at cybersecurity, like it's better than MIT or Cornell or CMU. So yeah, and I was there and I used to talk about like food security and like how AI could be used. And I think one or two good friends of mine, they were like, either shut up or just do this stuff. And really, that was it. And I'm like, well, I need money. And they're like, in Germany, you can apply for grants. And I applied for a grant. This was last year. We got the grant. We started building stuff 13 months in, and that's how the startup has been. And then we were working on it, saw promising results. And then somehow Techstars, someone from Techstars found us. And then that's where like it all began. And Techstars is like really brutal in the sense of like application process. So there were like 7,500 startups and out of those 13 were selected. And we are kind of like the odd ones, right? Because we're like, of course, I can always portray the image of like we're deep tech AI machine learning. But on the other hand, we're like farmers. <laughs> there are like other startups in crypto and machine language generation and stuff like that. We joined and I think in the last two months at Techstars, we have improved way more than we could have like without tech stars in a year or two. So I could give like concrete examples. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So we were initially, Techstars has this program called Mentor Madness, and you talked to about 40 mentors and they are from different fields. They're investors. Some of them are founders. Some of them are just scientists, let's say. And you talk to them and you have like 20 minutes with them and you just move on to the next one. And like you do this for five days. And at the end of the day, like they do give you feedbacks and there's just like general impression from their side, how good you are or how bad you are and what you should fix. And I was hearing this constant thing that, hey, you can't make a unicorn case with Hexa Farms. And their reasoning was that you're building for vertical indoor farms and that market is 8 billion euros. And you are just, let's say, if you improve like a fraction of it, 10%, that's about like 800 millions. But wait, you can't get all the markets. So you'll get maybe 10% of it, right? So you're fixing like 10% of 800 million and then you're going to take your cut of 10% that. Like it's not a unicorn case. And in my head, I'm like, how is that not a unicorn case? Because what we are fundamentally doing is we are like coming to the biggest industry of humankind, which is food production. And it's not just like 8 billions. It's going to be more. Like when the AI is smart enough, we can take it out to greenhouses. We can take it out to normal land-based agriculture. And just giving an example of Techstars and how it was productive was then we're like, well, then do it from the onset. Don't tell us this story that you're fixing for vertical indoor farms. Go do market validation. Go talk to customers. And funny enough, our first customer is actually a greenhouse. It's a health project. I can't mention it, but they're like one of the best in Germany and also working with some indoor farms. But it's a greenhouse and they're like, we actually see clearly the benefit of an AI and computer vision system here, especially if it's a software which tells us what to do and at what point, if it tells us when our plants are ready, when we should move, if it can somehow using the image tell the health of the plant, I think it's really helpful for us. And finally coming to the USB and like Techstars, for example, if it was not for Techstars, we wouldn't have come to this one-liner. And that one-liner is that we help control environment agriculture reduce their cost by up to 40%. But control environment agriculture is not just vertical indoor farming, it's also greenhouse, it's also hydroponic system, which is like single layer and stuff like that. So I think that was one of the benefits of Techstars because at the end of the day, like we're a startup and we would need more and more money and you have to follow certain rules. And I think we were not ready in that sense and Techstars really helped us there. And so are you currently in the program or have you since graduated? Yeah. Yeah the program and yeah so we were in the program and then they were like well go validate your market go talk to customers and we did and we have actually pretty excellent customers lined up for using our product testing our ai how big is the team now we actually only three people yeah what's been the biggest growth that you've seen if you look at yourself as first time ceo is that accurate yeah yeah so building a company taking this passion, taking all your experience 
now with everything, obviously having tech stars as mentors is really invaluable because, you know, what you've been able to learn and get help on in such a concentrated period of time, you know, people spend years, maybe even decades, you know, getting that experience, trying things, failing. And I think what's been helpful for you is having that rapid, you know, experience and sort of downloads from all those fantastic mentors that I'm sure you had access to. And so they're quickly making you realize, you know, how you create a business out of this that's sustainable. And so I'm just curious for you personally, like, where are you seeing the growth? It's probably been happening faster than normal, but like as a CEO and as a, someone who's starting a company for the first time. I think one great learning has been for me, I'm going to push back on that a bit where mentors come in. I think it's taking the right advice, right? So like there are some people who have said grow cannabis and because there's a lot of money and it's the same process. And I'm like, sure, it's the same software, but like the vision here is not just about cannabis. It's about all kind of plant biology. And so that advice was like, well, if you grow cannabis, you can raise VC money pretty quick. But there I'm like, maybe, but maybe not. It's not a fact. It's just your opinion. So I think one big lesson I learned was that I have to be original and I really work on it, which is kind of like a bit contradictory to what I said, right? Listening to other people. But I think it's just like balancing a bunch of things that, I mean, it sounds very generic answer. Yeah. One great thing that has happened to me is really talking to customers. Is not living in my own bubble or in a vacuum. And at this point, I am talking to customers. As I said, it's like I had a call with someone in growing ornamental plants. So it's totally different space, like flowers, for example, it's a totally different space or greenhouses. For quite some time, I was not open because I'm like, well, this AI is going to break if it goes outside of controlled vertical indoor farms, right? In vertical indoor farms right now, for example, at Hexa Farms, we look at what is called the phenomics, like different factors that affect plant growth. We look at CO2 temperature, humidity, ECPH temperature in the air, in the water, oxygen diffusion. We can, at one point, we're even looking at different salt levels. In normal farms, greenhouses, I can't do it. But I think talking to customers, I realized that, well, not everyone has those things. And it would take you years. Like, if I wait for the market to build the whole work indoor farming infrastructure, like, it's going to be too late. So I think one big thing that has happened to me is I would call myself a nerd, but I'm really trying to go out and talk to people and solve actual problems. That has been tremendously helpful for me. And also the other thing was like communication. Maybe I'm still not good at communication because <laughs> I speak in like a very recursive fashion, like I go down and down. But I would say two things that, yeah, it's like talking to customers, then probably conversation and also like realizing that there are people, not everyone is moved by my vision to make work indoor farming or food production super efficient. There are people who like it, but they want to 10x their money. There are people who absolutely love only plant biology. So kind of like identifying that early on is also been helpful. So who would you say is an ideal partner for Hexafarms? Vertical indoor farms, like people growing on like a regular basis, a lot of produce, and they're looking to cut down their cost. They're the best ones because ideal ones are vertical indoor farms because that's where we see the magic. So we reduce the cost in basically three ways. One is that plants are getting what they need. So plants, like our system, so basically Hexafarms packages a bunch of sensors, and these are like all industry-grade sensors that are open source in the sense that we can like ask for the values from these sensors and connect to a network. So we put these sensors in your farm and also actuators, which would be, let's say, a controller, like a relay. So your light setting, for example, we could tweak that with our sensors, which we don't actually manufacture. We just put them, and then we stream all of that data to the cloud where we do the processing, and then we control the farm. So it's like a two-way loop. And the efficiency that comes into play is that plants are getting in real time what they need. So to give an example, if our camera detects that plant on layer four is stressed, then we just turn the light off. The conventional wisdom is to keep the light on because you'll get, I don't know, massive production, which is not true. And when we turn the light off, we save the electricity there. And then we also, like, electricity is reduced, but the plant is happy. So the harvest cycle is going to be short or like the production could be more from the same amount of resource. So one would be like, it's like biological optimization. The second big factor is operations. You don't have to keep checking on things. And third one is plant biology expertise, which is better than any human being. And that can be run anywhere on the planet, like going back to UAE in the desert, like you don't have to hire someone and AI can take care of it. This whole plant biology expertise right now, they're like just few experts 
this again is not a good thing to say on a podcast, but a lot of these quote unquote experts are really coming from the horticulture segment, right? And they're not necessarily extremely aware of how food production happens at vertical indoor farming. So yeah, that's like how we drive value and our whole product. Coming back, this sense of like disrupting the norms. <laughs> is that something that a trait in you? Is that something you've always like been doing, like doing things a different way? Maybe. I'm actually, in terms of philosophy uh, like and politics, I'm more conservative. But I do question the norms. I mean, come on, like take traditional farming, like tilling the ground. It's a conventional wisdom, but it's not necessarily true. Like if you go to India, literally at the end of the season, the whole swath of land is just going to be tilled. And they think it gives like air and air flow in the soil, but it's not true. Like you can also do farming in permaculture way without tilling the ground. So I think a lot of wisdom around us is just like someone else like us thought that before and they thought it was a good way. But yeah, that won't stop me from questioning it. I mean, I don't want to question for the sake of questioning it, but places where I do know some bits about it, I would like to question it and it's good. Like, yeah, because a healthy dose of it is good. Yeah, healthy dose of skepticism, like they say, because... You know, obviously the people who have made differences in this world were the ones who went against the grain or what people typically thought was possible. And, you know, you just need that first person here in the States. They've, they've called it the Bannister breakthrough because Roger Bannister was the, if you know the story, he, you know, no one thought you could break the four minute mile and he broke it. And then all of a sudden everyone's breaking four minute miles and you don't know what's possible until someone leads the way and just pushes, you know, the limits of what people, you know, traditionally think you can do. I mean, our whole field, I mean, vertical indoor farming is really so unconventional. And I mean, we're in the same spirit. And I think we should question more. Yeah, it sounds like you're going to be doing that as well. <laughs> so how do you think about growing your team? Like, do you have inspiration for folks that have done that that you can talk to? Or how do you think about that personally? Because I imagine as you grow Hexafarms, you're going to have to think about what are the right hires at the right time. Yeah, so... Our USB's like more unique selling point is that the AI performance, right? So right now we are three people. One of us taking care of operations and sales. I would be taking care of, I do like AI machine learning and Hijo, my co-founder, he's also doing AI machine learning, more computer vision, robotic side. And I think we would, the next hires would be people like AI and machine learning again. Because I and my third co-founder, Felix, I also like to be involved in talking to customers. So it's not like just one person doing it because I think it's very important for us as co-founders to know it and also like quote unquote CEO of a three-person company. I should still be talking to customers and I do that. So I think the next hire would be in the field of AI machine learning and or like development, again, programming. We could definitely benefit from some marketing because our marketing is crap. It's like, if you go to Hexafarms or like anything, you don't find that crazy or cool stuff when I see online different companies that I kind of know inside out and their presentation is super solid. So I would say AI, machine learning, marketing. And I think if we make a good product, sales would work by itself. That's the hope. Word of mouth. Yeah. And if you drive value, I mean, people just like it. And our space is so homogenous. I realized it also works indoor farming. And in general, agriculture is like so homogenous. Like if you drive value for someone, word of mouth is going to work yeah. in our favor. And this podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm so happy and grateful to be here. So David, when you think about who this makes sense for, was there ever any thought of starting your own farm? Or do you realize that the power in what you're providing is enhancing what existing farms are doing? We were at one point, our first proposal actually for that grant that I mentioned that we got from the German government, which which helped us to build the whole stuff, was that we're going to grow our own stuff and we're going to sell it. We were wrong. Uh, selling is difficult. And I mean, packaging, marketing, and while working on it, it's like, we realized it was difficult. So like, okay, let's work on the, our, what is our core thing? And that was like AI part and intelligence part and control and monitoring. And then I started talking to people and I realized actually even monitoring is not a pressing problem, right? So there are lots of companies that are providing solutions for monitoring, even automation. But one thing that I heard, which was universally true, even from quote-unquote competitors or enemies, I don't think anyone is an enemy, but actually, no, sometimes I do talk to companies I don't want to name. And the amount of ego is just 
unbearable. It's like I know them, their company from like some other side, and then someone working on something else, and the way they would flex about their technology, and I'm like, gosh, like <laughs> this is too much. But anyhow, where was I? No, you were just thinking about you know that you were originally going to start your own farm, and then you realized by having these conversations, yeah. Yeah. So now I'm hearing from people that it's actually that computer vision. AI part, the intelligence part, that is going to be the most important thing and the game changer. And that's what we are focusing on now. Because again, also coming to the reality of a startup, like, I would love to run a farm. I would love to put experiments. I'm also an amateur mycologist, like just cloning mushrooms, growing mushrooms. It's also an obsession of mine. It's like, you could give me any mushroom, most likely I can clone it. And I do that. I mean, if I had to do as a hobby, of course, I would have like a farm unit. We do actually have two farms. We have actually one farm that we deployed and it's working like 700 kilometers away from here and I can control every single thing from here in Berlin. It's fully remote. But I don't think uh, moving forward, uh, we are going to get into the hardware space or growing itself. I think there are tons of companies that are doing a pretty good job. Also, there are some companies that are not super nice to talk to, but there are also some big names that you talk to. They're super nice and super welcoming. And I think our potential would be uh, mostly there. So they're like right now, if to name some big indoor farms like Plenty, Bowery, Infarm in Europe, and Aerofarms, is they do have a biology team working on it. But I think that is not democratic enough. Like if you were to start an indoor farm, you can't get that efficiency that they might have, which I'm not going to question here on the podcast. But I think if Hexafarms could have a team of X number of people working solely on developing an AI, which is plant brain, and everyone can access to it, I think that would be excellent and game changer. The democratic aspect, like anyone could really subscribe to a service, our pricing would be based on the amount of efficiency we drive for you, right? So if we let you save 100,000 euros, $100,000 a year, and we're like, hey, our like subscription would be 10K, I mean, you would gladly pay because you're getting 90K extra from the same operations. So yeah, I think that is also important for us. So that's why focusing purely on AI and software. Where are you seeing the most opportunities for growth? Are you bootstrapped? Are you looking for funding? What's top of mind for you right now? So we are pretty secure financially for another year. But I think now last two months have been crazy good in terms of like traction. And actually we are considering fundraising sooner than we had planned. Like right now, if I could fundraise and I can really put money to good use and scaling things up. One other thing is that I think in our field, now this is getting capitalistic, is that I think winner takes it all kind of thing, right? So if our AI is better, it is very unlikely that someone else can beat and vice versa. So if someone else does it, they could actually kind of do a pretty good job and take over. So that's why I'm also like, maybe actually we could fundraise sooner and just speed things up a bit. And also just in terms of like utility that we drive for the planet, like by having an AI trained and working sooner than later, I think it's better. Where are we in terms of like AI, specifically with the applications that you're using it for in vertical farming? Are we just literally at the starting line? Are, are we, you know, in terms of like possibilities, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, uh, what, what that looks like. Initially, you know, I used to shy from using the word AI because it's such a buzzword and machine learning. So right now for us, let's take one cultivar lettuce, Lactuca sativa. Our AI can, using normal camera, measure the 3D growth. We can get good indicators about the stress level in the plant, nutrient deficiency of calcium, potassium. Like these are coming from like normal cameras because that's kind of like our technique. Like test lighting is also having similar approach where they don't rely on expensive sensors or multiple sensors, but they rather kind of train simpler sensors to let's say like using a model where you could predict the 3D shape of a human being just from a 2D image, right? So that could be one application for like autonomous cars. Not exactly like this, but it works in a similar fashion. So our AI is, again, the computer vision can do those things. And then it can also take into account the factors I mentioned, CO2, temperature, humidity, EC, pH, more factors you can keep adding. It can easily correlate those things. It can predict harvest time, by the way using normal cameras. And I think the pipeline is fully set. It's just like now adding more cultivars. And our farm, by the way, so the one that is the first one, it was actually our first customer and it's running and the customer doesn't have to touch it. Like it's not just AI, it's also like uh, monitoring and control. So everything is kind of working and coming back to reality where AI alone is not going to do harvesting, right? So we need some other things. And our system is also like, let's say, 
when things are growing and there's a need that the pH level in the nutrient solution has to be changed and automatically triggers. And we have solved all those problems. So it triggers and it changes. But for some reason, let's say it does not change and it does not change for three hours. That's bad. But it doesn't just remain like that. We get a notification because we have set up like another monitoring software for that. We just send a notification, hey, this is not changing and just intervene. And we would just look into it. So yeah, I think it's not just the beginning. It's like pretty decent. And now we're looking at what is called a normalized difference vegetative index. I actually wrote it down. <laughs> Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so it's NDVI, and this is an approach that is used is with satellite imagery. So when you look at fields and you want to understand raised vegetation happening, and you can see basically it's like normal image, and then you combine it with a near infrared, and based on the kind of like manipulate those values, and you figure out the vegetative this index about what is actually like growing plants and what is not. And the same approach can be also applied in indoor farming. So it could be a very good indicator to give you like a much simpler example is that let's say we have two cameras and with one we are measuring the infrared, which is heat map of the plants. And the other one is taking RGB image, which is a normal image as we see. And then looking at the correlation between the two, we can infer a lot of things. Like we can infer a plant disease, a stress level, photosynthetic activity. I mean, there's publication on that as well. And right now, these things are done either in labs and you need equipments worth like 6K to 20K. And our take of Hexafarm's take is that we don't need to focus on sensors because we're getting information anyways. So why not add the complexity in software? Because then we can distribute it super fast. And that's the bet we're making. And so far, we have seen promising results. Where are you seeing the most challenges for yourself as a company? I think the vertical indoor farming space, at least in Europe, is I have noticed that there is a sense of pessimism. I don't want to name some big companies here, but they have not been able to drive the results and have been operational for nine years or so. Some are shutting down. I mean, I think five seasons, I don't know if it's European or American, five seasons just declared bankruptcy last week. And I think this is a big challenge. It's like, how can you convince investors because at the end of the day we need money and how can we convince people to put in their money that they will see like 10x value i mean but this is an external factor this really does not stop me because and that's why i'm like even doubling down on taking the challenge of optimization like if i can prove to a supermarket and this experiment we did and responses were pretty good is that hey if i can promise you that lettuce one head of lettuce that you're getting for 35 cents from a far away field what if we delivered the same lettuce to you or even better, you can put a farm, super simple farm, but hyper-intensive in terms of productivity in your storage room, and you can have a secure supply of high-quality lettuce roughly at the same price. And then they're like, okay, makes sense. Like right now, lettuce, if you buy, first of all, no one is stupid enough to grow lettuce in Europe in vertical indoor farms. We know why, because it's not efficient. It's like unit economics is not making sense. So no one is doing it. But my goal is that if we can prove that, then even from like, you know, economic perspective, it should make sense. And that's the challenge I would like us to solve. Yeah, so in general, yeah, the fear is from the market, but it's also not a big fear. I'm not as scared at all. <laughs> I can tell. I love the energy and the enthusiasm that you're bringing into this and the hope that you have for where this is going. I think we all see it. I think we all see the potential. And we all see this idea that what we've done up until now has gotten us to this point. But that doesn't mean that there can't be new, fresh blood, fresh ideas, fresh thinking to get us to maybe like move exponentially to where we need to be if we're really going to solve this challenge of, you know, access to food, food scarcity, you know, supply chain issues, food deserts, all, all the things that, you know, we, we want to see vertical farming tackle. What's a tough question you've been asking yourself recently? There are lots of them. <laughs> Most of them are actually computer science questions. I have more tough questions in like, as I said, in computer science, kind of. It's uh, AI, for example. I think that with AI, we're kind of stagnating, hmm. which is a bit controversial opinion to have when we were seeing GPT-3 and all. I think we could be doing much better. We could be doing, by much better, I mean, I think AI is still devoid of reasoning. So I think textual manipulation, taking a text and generating a summary, if actually, if you go back in our field, you would find actually old papers Text generation was super simple, even like 50 years ago. Summary was a bit difficult. 
there was a paradigm shift, I think, in the 90s, late 90s, where deep learning came into play. And I think we're building just on top of that. I think we could do much better there. So my tough question that I have is that, can we go beyond AI? Can we go beyond the conventional model of AI? I think, in my opinion, like for the last two decades, it has not changed much. Like deep learning is a school of thought. It's just deep learning. I mean, of course, like we see tremendous results. So that is one tough question. Like what are the limits of AI? I think it's a tough question because we don't even have the language developed, right? To ask that question, like what does it even mean to ask that question? Coming back to vertical indoor farming, what are my tough questions is like, who will be the eventual growers? Is it going to be the mega farms or are we going to see a new democratic world where people like you, people like me would actually have an Uber version of farming? Like we will put some kit in our garages and connect it to supermarkets and just grow food. And the unit economics in that case would be, hey, I'm putting in like 500 bucks worth of electricity and 50 bucks worth of fertilizer. At the end of the day, I'm like growing, let's say $2,000 worth of like produce and the supermarket is connected to the same hub and is able to take it. So it's not a tough question, but it's just like thought experiment that I do with myself. On optimistic days, I have really beautiful pictures. On other days, I have really dystopic pictures. No, I mean, I think it's so exciting because there is a room here for everyone. And I think so far, the conversations what I've had is that everyone knows, you know, we may see companies that are doing very similar things in this space, but it really is an all hands on deck moment. It's like we need everyone to be addressing this problem because... You know, we're trying to feed whatever the number is, 9 billion people on this planet. <laughs> like, I think there's still a lot of opportunities here. There's still a lot of need. And there's still, from everything from the plants and the, and the herbs I'm going to be growing in my living room to the container farm next to the supermarket to the restaurant chain that's, you know, building several container farms to the aero farms to the plenties of the world. I think there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach. And I think people are going to find out what approach fits them. You're talking about all the different crops. Mushrooms are really big. Now strawberries are making... A dent and there's expansion happening in terms of what we can grow and what's possible and then the regions right like the uae you know like where there's pressing needs for this sort of thing so it's really exciting and then i think you know i had my eyes open even more when i was in dubai in terms of seeing the potential and how what a need this was not only for growing food for people but it was growing food for livestock i mean camels <laughs> in uae i mean i think one of the biggest camel farmers in the uae was expressing the need to like i need to like figure this out because i need to keep you know my livestock fed and so just there's so many challenges that if you don't look at this from a global perspective you just think it's like oh i just have to like you know feed you know or create enough crops for people in my neighborhood or something like that and that's the only challenge but there's something bigger that's happening here and i think the more and more i have conversations with people from around the world tackling this problem from different angles as you are and especially coming into it with a fresh perspective i think really that's really what's exciting me about the potential i agree it's uh different solutions uh from different angles and i think yeah the combination is going to work but I've taken my side, and my side is that putting AI to work, making things accessible to people is very important, not locking in people with hardware or something. And yeah, just kind of like agriculture, I don't know, 4.0, 6.0. I don't want to use a tag, but like just a new paradigm. I mean, sure. yeah. Where did the name come from? Hexa Farms. Oh, that's basically Hexa Farms. The name comes from hexagon, which is mathematically a super beautiful structure. So if you look at honeybees and honeycombs, the structure is hexagon because hexagon, I mean, it has a bunch of other properties. One of them is that if you have to 3D pack stuff, so let's say we take cubes and we just put cubes on top of cubes, cubes on top of cubes, and I give you some specific volume, you can fit it up, right? You can fill it up with cubes and there won't be any space left. And then the, we can do the same with pyramids, like a triangular shape. And then the question is, what is maximum number of sites that we can have that can fully fit into like a volume and turns out it's a hexagon. So if we have like a hexagon, like 3D shape with hexagon as all faces, like we can 3D pack them most efficiently. If you go one more edge, like septagon, it won't work. So pentagon would work, but hexagon works as well. After that, it does not work. Honeybees, yeah, make for that exact reason. It gives the most efficient structure to use the least amount of wax to get the same structure. So hexa kind of comes from efficiency. But don't be surprised if we actually rename ourselves in the future, because a lot of people confuse us as like, uh, let's say, aerofarms. Like we're not in the 
farming space, we're not in the hardware space. We're more as the intelligence part. So yeah, maybe the parent company will remain Hexafarms. But yeah, so that's where the name comes from. It's very apropos uh, given the solutions you're solving for. So David, this was a really fun conversation. I'm glad we got connected. I'm really excited to see the innovation that's happening in the space and especially like, you know, this fresh perspectives coming in because I think, you know, to your point, you know, the way we've been doing things has been working to some extent, but that doesn't mean there's not opportunity for innovation consistently happening, especially at the rate at which technologies are improving like AI, like sensors. So I think what you're doing is really valuable. It's, it's a bit disruptive, I think, if I have to say, and then I think that's a good thing. And so um, it, it kind be excited to be watching your journey hexafarms.com for people who want to learn more any other place you want to send people to connect with you linkedin we have our page info at hexafarms.com as i said we're really terrible at marketing and our social media presence is also not that awesome but yeah thank you so much for having me here and my apologies like the way i speak is just like you know the thought stream is very complex like the roots of a lettuce plant that's a perfect way to wrap this up. Thank you for sharing. And no need to ever apologize for being who you are. And I think it's really important to just wear your heart on your sleeve sometimes. So David, one opportunity I like to give my guests is to speak to this audience. And it's your peers in this space, people in the vertical farming space, people who are interested in vertical farming. So do you have a message for the vertical farming industry? Yes, I do. Well, only one message is that let's be humble. Let's work together. And by being humble, it also implies that we should be open to different solutions. I believe that we can use new tools. We don't have to be scared. We have to be humble enough to accept that there could be AI solution combined with some sensors that can surpass human intelligence, but it's not going to take over, right? So it's going to help us. It's going to be an assistive technology for us to reach higher efficiency. So yeah, I would say let's be humble. That's very well put. Thank you. Thanks again to David for that enlightening and entertaining conversation. I really appreciate him coming on the show, and I'm glad we got to tell his very, very exciting story. It's going to be very fun to watch David's progress. Full show notes, including everything we discussed, resources mentioned, timestamps at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Once again, thanks to our season six title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking to a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co. As a reminder, if you are enjoying the show, if you've enjoyed past shows, if you're going to enjoy a future show, leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash PFP, and we'll be sure, I promise, to read that out on a future episode. The hits just keep on coming, as they say. Tune in next episode. We've got a great conversation with Dr. Christian Toma of Calera. That's a conversation I've been waiting to have for a while now. <laughs> as always, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.